If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Steve Pride. Filling in for Abby Dees, who is up in Santa Barbara, I think. Yes, and you're doing a fine job so far. Keep Tonight we'll talk in studio with Lindsay Deaton, director of TCLA, the Transgender Course of Los Angeles. And we'll take you to the exhibition floor of RuPaul's DragCon 2017, where Mr. Pride and I wandered about aimlessly for the last two days. We were just blinded by the rhinestones. It was staggering. You'll meet almost everyone who would talk to us. But first, the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Michael LeBeau. And I'm Frances O'Brien. With NewsRap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending April 29th, 2017. The ongoing effort to exterminate gay and bisexual men from the mostly Muslim Russian region of Chechnya urgently tops the news again this week. The situation is clearly going from bad to worse. According to local journalists, led by the independent Russian newspaper Novaya Gazeta, which first broke the story, at least 300 gay and bisexual men, or those perceived to be, are now being held in what are being called six different gay concentration camps. That's triple the number of detainees and camps previously reported. There have also now been at least four confirmed deaths. Prisoners face beatings, starvation, and shocks in homemade electric chairs until they provide the names of all their gay friends. Some of them have reportedly been released after their families bribe prison officials. The government's homophobic hysteria has also opened the door to accusations by a disgruntled neighbor or associate that a man is gay, which can lead to the man's arrest and detention. A spokesperson for Chechen leader Ramzan Kadyrov first insisted that no gay people are being persecuted in Chechnya because there are no gay people there. But Kadyrov himself later bragged to reporters that he intends to rid the area of gays before the start of Ramadan, which is in late May. The Chechen Republic is a mostly Muslim region of Russia that was granted its own government and court system following years of revolt by fundamentalist separatists. But Chechnya is still under Russia's federal umbrella. President Vladimir Putin's critics say he has the power to put a stop to the genocide. But his spokespeople continue to claim that their boss has no reason to believe that his good friend Kandirov is doing anything wrong. The regional LGBTQ rights group ILGA Europe reported late this week that a new wave of arrests is underway and that even those who have escaped the region remain at risk elsewhere in Russia, even from family members. 
Honor killings of immoral people who shame their relatives are not uncommon in fundamentalist Islamic families. Hundreds of people attended the latest protests against Chechnya's anti-gay genocide in Vienna and Madrid. The U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum has joined a growing chorus that includes U.N. officials, government leaders from several countries, and the EU, and a number of global human rights groups to condemn the anti-gay pogrom. Museum director Sarah J. Bloomfield said in an April 28th media release that the Holocaust teaches us what can happen when state-sponsored, group-targeted violence is allowed to go unchecked. Meanwhile, an HIV-positive gay Russian man who is seeking asylum in the U.S. was released from more than a month of detention this week by Immigration and Customs Enforcement officials. 30-year-old Denis Davidov arrived in the U.S. from Russia in 2014. And despite overstaying his six-month tourist visa, he applied for political asylum within the one-year deadline. He was arrested and placed in a Miami detention center when trying to return from a trip to the U.S. Virgin Islands to his home in San Jose, California. Davidov claimed political asylum because of the peril faced by LGBT people in Russia, amplified by the current purge of gay men in Chechnya and the failure of Vladimir Putin to do anything about it. Davidov got his HIV medications in the detention center but was denied access to a doctor. Sergei Piskunov, who works with the advocacy group Rusa LGBT, says that Davidov has developed a fungal infection, possibly thrush, and has not been able to receive medication for it. The executive director of the U.S.-based advocacy group Immigration Equality, attorney Aaron Morris, also represents Davidoff. He said his client has no criminal record and poses no danger to the public. Customs and Border Protection spokesman Jaime Ruiz said that the agency does not comment on individual cases. A Facebook page has been set up to provide updates on Davidov's condition. That's News Wrap for the week ending April 29, 2017. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Frances O'Brien. And I'm Michael LeBeau. Remember, you can hear all 30 commercial-free minutes of This Way Out on the podcast at thiswayout.org and on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Oh, Steve, I know sometimes we come off as bleak, drab little creatures, but every once in a while we break free of this dark, cold studio and go out into the real world. Or in this sparkle, nearly sparkle. Exactly, or in this case, the surreal world. And so we found ourselves at RuPaul's DragCon 2017, a festival of feathers, furbelows, and towering femininity. You're not going to believe it, so let's listen to it. Now we're going to cut the ribbon any second now. I just want to say to everyone, this is our third year and this is our biggest year so far. And it's all because of you and because of these beautiful, gorgeous creatures behind me. Give them a big round of applause. have made this drag race phenomenon such a beautiful ride for all of us. Thank you for coming to the third annual RuPaul's Drag Con Los Angeles. I'm Steve Pride. 
And I'm Wendell Jones, reporting from the exhibition floor of the Los Angeles Convention Center and RuPaul's DragCon 2017. Tell our listeners who you are and why you're here. Hey, I'm Jeffrey Boyer Chapman. I am here at DragCon today because I was lucky enough to be invited back after living the best day of my psychological life as a guest judge on Drag Race this season. Could you hear that? That, that applause wasn't for me, but... I was a guest judge on Drag Race season nine, and it was so phenomenal. And Rue and Michelle and Ross and the world of wonder have been treating me with a lot of love and invited me back. So, what was the best thing about judging Drag Race? Getting a behind-the-scenes experience, being a super fan myself. I watch the show obsessively. It is like constantly on a loop in my home, constantly on a loop in my trailer at work. Working on a show like Unreal, where we are producing and manipulating behind the scenes of a reality competition program. It was very interesting to see how it's actually done. And these girls have a lot of talent and so much that isn't seen in the final edit. So it was my wet dream getting a behind the scenes peek. I'm addicted to Unreal. So tell me about the show and tell me about your character who seems to be the only good person around. I think I'm the best of the worst, to be honest with you. So the creator of the show worked as a field producer on The Bachelor for nine seasons, and this is her experience in a fictionalized version. I play Jay Carter, a field producer on a dating competition show similar to The Bachelor called Everlasting. And my job is to manipulate and get all these contestants, these girls, to do sorts of zany and wild and wacky and horribly inappropriate things for good sound bites and ratings. This season... We are twitching the script a little bit and doing a female suitor, or a suitress as we like to call her, and 25 male contestants. So it's been very interesting. We're shooting season three right now. That sounds fun for your gay character. It sounds, it's so much fun for this gay character. It's, you know, endless eye candy. So now that you're a semi-expert on reality TV, what do you think of Finding Prince Charming? I didn't watch it, to be totally I'm going to be so honest with you and say the only reality show I watch is RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm Robert Sepulveda Jr. I was on the first season of Logo TV's Finding Prince Charming. This is my first drag con, so I want to enjoy it. Finding Prince Charming got to share both positive and negative reactions from the community. Well, I mean, you're always going to get the negative and the positive, but you just have to stick to your guns. You have to believe in what the show really stood for, which is bringing LGBT programming to a new generation. It's going around the world and I think that it was a really amazing thing to have the first ever gay bachelor, the gay dating show. So I think that it was a good thing all in all. Did you ever find true love? In those moments, in that moment in time, I thought I did. But now after a few months have passed by, Eric is an amazing guy and I totally respect him and care for him. But we're not together. So, What's up next for you? Hopefully a new show. I'm going to do an interior design show, really focusing on my real skills. Um, so hopefully that happens soon. I'm working with a couple production companies, and I'm hoping something, something else happens. What's the best thing about DragCon? Oh my god, the talent, the girls. I mean, just having them all in one place, that's amazing. Hi, my name is Levi Carter. I'm a cocky boy, and I am here at DragCon with Fleshjack. What's a cocky boy, and what's a Fleshjack? Cocky Boys is a sex-positive, sexual freedom website and platform. We do porn, <laughs> but we do so much more than that. We try to take not just our content, but our storylines in our content and, you know, our performers. We try to bring out their personalities, and you're not just falling in love with our content. You're also falling in love with our guys. And so uh, Cocky Boy is confident, respectful, honest, hardworking, dedicated, and 
very well known for not just their looks but also their personality. As for a flesh track, well you gotta feel it to believe it, but it feels just like the real thing if you do it right. What's the best thing about DragCon? It kind of reminds me of Fire Island, how this is like so free and like non-judgmental. No one's like putting anyone down here and I, I think that's such a beautiful thing and like everyone is here to just have a good time. We are the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. My name is Sister Karen Soul, and I am an African-American queen that paints her face white to go out and do lots of community service for our community. We're here today just to show ourselves out and let everyone know that we are here for them if they need anybody in need. Um, we do a lot of fundraising for gay and lesbian homeless youth and for HIV AIDS issues. So we're here to recruit. We're here to let know people know that they are not alone and we're here to give blessings. Hi, I'm Matt Knife. I am the International Baron of Boylesque. I am the producer of Homo Erectus Boylesque at the historic Stonewall Inn. And I am here at DragCon because I love RuPaul's Drag Race and I am a super fan of the show. What's the best thing you've seen here today? Oh my god, like so many amazing queens and beautiful people across the board. Men, women, drag queens. It's great. I love it. I'm Zachary Drucker. I'm a producer on Transparent and I'm an artist and a filmmaker and I'm here at DragCon. I just did a panel with Alexis Del Lago, the grand dame of New York Demimonde from 1950s through to today. She's been kind of an incredible archetype and legend for all gender non-binary and gender experimental folks. Um, so we did a panel with James St. James, which was incredible. And I love being a drag pawn. I think that it's such an incredible confluence of um, gender freedom. People from all walks of life coming to just kind of express themselves and to be around kindred spirits. What's your biggest surprise looking around this exhibition hall? Oh, the amount of people. It's so heartening to see such tremendous support for identities that not long ago were considered completely antisocial and illegal. I think that we've come a long way in a short amount of time and I just feel so blessed to be a part of it. The real joy of being here is just to be in the crowd and to see the people here. The people watching is magical. It's just a party for the eye. If you just tuned in, I'm Steve Pride. And I'm Wendell Jones at RuPaul's DragCon 2017. Tell our listeners who you are and why you're here. I have no idea. No, I'm Frank DeCaro, and I am at DragCon for the third year in a row, partly because I adore drag and partly because I'm working on a book on drag that's due Monday. And I'm not finished with it yet, but it'll be done. It'll come out in 2018. And so that's why I'm here. But it's mostly out of love for drag. And what have you been up to lately? Today or in general? In general. <laughs> I've been touring the country with Lisa Lampanelli, and I've been opening for her everywhere from January to April. I think we did like 45 dates all over the country, so it was kind of crazy. And now I'm home a few weeks, and I'm, at the, I'm a slave to my computer, and I sit at the keyboard and type and type and type, and that book is getting there, but, well, you know, that's what I've been doing. And then we go back out on the road in the middle of May again. So. Well, sadly, it's radio, so no one can see this beautiful frock you've got on. Can you describe it for them? I'm wearing a, a backless Dior uh, ensemble. No, I'm, we I'm wearing clothes from the gap like a boy would. It's, I'm so, I, I hate to be boring and cisgender and all that crap, but I, it just it happens. But I'm wearing jeans that are 10 inches smaller than they were a year and a half ago, so I'm okay with that. 
I know that feeling. Around the waist. Around the waist. Okay, yeah. tell me who you are, this random stranger who's walking around stalking Mr. DeCaro. I am stalking Mr. DeCaro, but, you know, I only stalk the best. My husband, Frank DeCaro. I'm Jim Colucci, and I'm an author and TV writer, and I love it because I'm we're such fans of drag race and of drag in general, and I'm not a big reality show person. I'm a sitcom person. I love scripted TV, but when you can see a reality show that has so much heart in it and then see it come to life where you get to see everybody here in one room. It's amazing. So as both fans of drag and also last year, this is my second drag con. Last year I did a panel about my book, Golden Girls Forever. And I learned, you know, you show up at drag con wearing a Betty White t-shirt and these are your people. And so this is amazing. It's like between loving drag and loving drag con and then knowing that I'm in a room full of people who love what I love, like the Golden Girls, it's great. And we're, you know, tons of people are stopping me about my shirt, but then I've seen a lot of other Golden Girls shirts going on around here. But there are drag queens out there who do like the Golden Girls. That's right, and the, yeah, I wrote about them in my book. There are drag troops in many cities, including LA here, where they're, I mean, LA, they're a great cast of people. Jackie Beat leads the cast of Amazing. Every time they do it, Casita Del Campo, you should go. But it's, yeah, there are drag queens who do the Golden Girls, and then of course, people always talk about B. Arthur and the original Golden Girls as if they were drag queens. B. Arthur appeared at one of the most legendary nights of drag in 1994. She was on a bill with Charles Pierce, Charles Bush, Milton Berle in drag, and B. Arthur, and it kind of worked. Uh, and so I think she was a drag queen, and she just, she, her penis was just bigger than the rest. That's all. What is the one thing you're really hoping to see today? Well, I got to talk to Bob the drag queen, which is fun. But I hope I get a smooch from Alaska, because Alaska's my favorite. I have to not to pick a, it shouldn't pick a favorite, but if I were gonna, I love Alaska. Because I, as it's huge know. upstairs to see Alaska. Well, I always laugh because she has that song, This is my hair, I don't wear wigs. And since I'm bald, I always say, This is my hair. So I, I um, that's my story. I love walking around the apartment for the past month saying that over and over. I want to kill him at this point. Pay no attention to the lace on my forehead. Yes, I love it so much. My name is Brian Pendleton, I'm the founder of Resist March. And Resist March has taken place on June 11th, and we're gathering at 8 a.m. at Hollywood and Highland, and we are going to march for our rights. We have 43 days left before we march. We have over 100 major organizations that have signed on board and, and have endorsed us, and the city of West Hollywood is all behind us, and as well as the city of Los Angeles. It's going to be probably the largest single LGBTQ movement the city has ever seen. There's an unexpected pushback from a few folks saying pride isn't political. I think that some people may have forgotten that we were founded as an organization that we're fighting for our rights. We started out as a protest organization and in fact the first time there was an LA Pride was in 1970 in honor of what happened at Stonewall the year prior. So we are simply just getting back to our roots and I want everyone to come out whether, whether you're concerned about it or not, join us on the streets, and this year, let's just unify. No matter what, no matter what your concerns are, just come out and join us and be the change you wish to see in the world. There is room in this community for everybody, everybody. And that's what's so important for people to know is that we want you there, you are invited. Come as who you are and join us and unify with us so that we can show the world that we're united. My name is Jace Peoples, and I am the author of the children's book Square Zare Pear, which is a brand new LGBT-friendly kids' book. It's about little creatures called Zares, 
and theirs come in two shapes, round and square. They always pair up, one round, one square, for their whole life, until one day, for the very first time in their village, two square theirs pair up, and mad hijinks ensue. <laughs> and what's the feedback been? Wonderful. Actually, uh, when we first came out, uh, we had a very successful Kickstarter campaign, and uh, for some reason, the Westboro Baptist Church found out about it and threatened to picket our very first reading in San Francisco. But the community, and especially the drag community, came together and supported us, and we had a counter-protest outside of Book Sync. I'm Blake McIver, and I'm here just enjoying the festivities that is DragCon. I've been every single year, three years in a row. It's exciting to be here. I love to see all the queens and the exhibits, and it's just fun. Well, it's radio, so people can't see you. Explain to them who you are. You're well known. Well, I call myself a recovering child actor, but also a singer-songwriter in the current world. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's been a journey for me, and I love being a part of queer culture and queer art, and it's a pleasure to be here. Well, you were on Full House. I was. You've had a number of successful careers as a singer, and you're also, are you still on The People's Couch? The People's Couch on Bravo, yes. That is the current gig. Yes, so we watch everything that's on television and comment on it in our own bent way. <laughs> and after the break, we continue our visit to DragCon 2017. That's bringing so many memories from yesterday back. I know, it seems like ages ago. It was so vivid. Well, after the break, we'll be talking to Lindsay Deaton, director of TCLA, the Transgender Course of Los Angeles. She'll be joining us in studio live. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Flying the Flag of Pride, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. The rainbow has played a part in many myths and stories related to gender and sexuality in Greek, Native American, African, and other cultures. In the gay and lesbian community, it represents pride and diversity. The original pride flag, designed by Gilbert Baker in 1978, had eight colors. In 1979, the flag was modified to its current six-stripe format. Red, representing light, orange for healing, yellow for the sun, green for natural serenity, blue for art, and purple for harmony. This design is officially recognized by the International Congress of Flag Makers. In 1994, a huge rainbow flag 30 feet wide and one mile long was carried by 10,000 people in New York's Pride Parade commemorating the 25th anniversary of Stonewall. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios of WRIR in Richmond, Virginia and read by volunteers like me, Garth Ellis. Hello, my name is Buck Angel. Listen to IMRU Radio Magazine every Monday night from 7 to 8 p.m. on KPFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 93.7 San Diego, 99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake, or streaming online at kpfk.org. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio Magazine. I am Steve Pride. And I'm Wenzel Jones. Now back to DragCon 2017. Hi, I'm Brent Corrigan. I'm at DragCon because I have always been a great champion of drag and all things gender non-conformist and um, I'm just I think this is amazing for the gay community 
I love seeing something like this pull forward, and I'm a major supporter of that. Last year, James Franco released King Cobra, which was his version of your story. Are you going to come out with your own bio? Actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm here at DragCon helping a friend, Josh Sabara, kind of promote his book. It's called Porn Again. And it's, you know, it's really about, you know, the sex positive message of our lives and being gay men and how, you know, the adult industry and adult content, adult media, which predates all LGBT content of any kind and how it really has been a fixture in our lives. That book is amazing, Porn Again. But my book, Incorrigible, is indefinitely postponed for the fact that I probably need to deal with some personal demons before I literally project all of my story out for the world to scrutinize or celebrate. To be honest, there are things in there that a lot of people don't know and they think they know the story and in the end, it's really emotionally complicated for me and I don't think that I'm quite yet prepared to put the book out. That movie that you're talking about they approached me before principal photography was supposed to start. They were planning on making a project about a segment of my life, and they were not intending on using, you know, you know, my story or like my side of the story. And it wasn't a question of being painted in a good light or a sympathetic light. It was about what's right and what's wrong. And they approached it the wrong way, and I was rubbed the wrong way. And they told me they had nothing for me. And in the end, I just felt like I couldn't endorse that. I couldn't get behind that. So therefore, I gave them my blessing by leasing my names and I just moved on. And they went out their way and I told my story in a straight up article that I did at an interview. And uh, I think that really beats a dead horse and explains it all and you know, that's really the end of it. Because your story's been out there, people who have never watched porn feel they still know you. What's the biggest surprise they would have about who you are? that I really am a somewhat private person. I open up about most things. I'm very genuine. It's important to me that people, when they do get a sense of me, at least they get a sense of the real me. But in the end, I'm actually really shy and kind of awkward and doing what I do, I, I never intended to be like a public figure. So when someone comes up at me, like when I'm buying milk in the grocery store, or they run up on me in the gym and i am got my you know AirPods in, if I'm not polite or warm, it's just because I'm caught off guard. You know, I, I never set out to live as a public figure and to be honest, you know, as an adult performer, the trade-off of kind of living a public figure's life isn't there for like what we get on the, I don't know, I don't want to say the income compensation side of things, but it really is very much a modest living these days. Therefore, I cling very tightly to my privacy when I ask for it. What's the best thing about being here today? What's the best thing about DragCon? It's the sensory overload. You're seeing every walk of life when it comes to not just gay culture, but queer culture. You've got women who love drag, and you've got all kinds of ages and all kinds of styles of drag, but it's not just drag. It's gender nonconformity. Gender is fluid. It's not binary. That's the way I've always seen it. I grew up gender confused when I was a kid. I was very lucky to have parents that just let me be myself. And then I grew into a young man who started doing a job that celebrated my more masculine parts. But the thing is, here, it seems all invited. I just hope that they understand that this is also a part of the gay community, and the gay community is a part of what I do, too. It's adult material, an adult production. 
and I hope that we don't get kind of ousted or pushed out in the future because I'd love to see all of us celebrate it. We worked so hard to remember the drag queens at Stonewall, but we tend to forget that 20 years ago, the porn boys were our heroes. You were our only role model. Absolutely. You know, Falcon, I'm an exclusive, but, you know, we're celebrating 45 years of being an entity, of being a porn production company. And it's really important to me that people know that. We had porn, gay porn, before we had LGBT films. And people forget that. I'm Josh Sabera. I'm the author of Porn Again, a memoir. And I am at DragCon because I love the fact that everybody at DragCon kind of finds their group. They find their tribe here, and it's very inclusive, and everybody fits in. What's the book about? It's basically my story. Somebody who was bullied from a very early age, which sort of kept me in the closet until I was about 31 years old, and I was a virgin until I was 31 years old. And before all of that, the book sort of goes through everything that I went through to feel accepted. So my addiction to plastic surgery, my high-level entertainment career, everything that could mask what was really going on inside. And then when I finally felt comfortable enough to be myself, I sort of went a little wild because I had to make up for lost time. So the book sort of is in two halves to some degree. In the part of me before I came out, then the sort of delayed adolescence, and then the going a little overboard to feel like I didn't miss out on anything before. I'm underwear designer Andrew Christian, and we're here at DragCon promoting my new book, Sex, Power, and Freedom. And what's the best thing about DragCon? You've been here a few years. I think the best thing for me is the diversity of the crowd. There's so many different types of people from so many different walks of life, so it's just great to meet everybody. Is it weird to see your name on everyone's underwear? Um, it was in the beginning, but I'm kind of used to it now. What do you hope people take away from your design? I just want to make people comfortable wearing them, you know? If people are happy and feel more confident, then I'm happy. What do you like about DragCon? I like meeting just the diverse crowd here. There's so many people from so many different walks of life that you don't meet at any other event. So it's, it's really a unique event. If you just tuned in, I'm Steve Pride. And I'm Wenzel Jones at RuPaul's DragCon 2017. So, Wenzel, what's your favorite thing today? The Hot Boys. You heard it here. DragCon 2017. My name is Anjana, and I'm here because I am an alumni for RuPaul's Drag Race Season 1. I probably am most memorable from my season because I came out as HIV positive during my season. And what did the show do for you? The show not only helped me throughout my career, but it helped me really elevate my drag persona and really look at drag in a different way and really just made me become a better person and a better creative person. Has the show itself changed drag in the U.S.? Absolutely. Now that the show is definitely in the forefront of our culture, it has an effect into how people do their drag, what they want to do, and, and, and things like that. And I think that that's a really great thing now that the show is reaching a catapult of people like crazier than I ever thought it would. I, mean, I have a, a few friends that are drag queens that don't quite fit the mold of drag race, and they complain about it. Do they have a legitimate concern? 
I don't think that there is really a mold for to be on the show. I think that what Rue is looking for is definitely showgirls and entertainers. And, um, and I think every person who wants to send in a videotape for an audition should definitely do it because you'll never know what response you're going to get. I am Michelle Visage. I am everything LGBT, positivity, love, light, and happiness, and of course, RuPaul's Drag Race. But you're not a drag queen. I am a drag queen. <laughs> What's the best thing about DragCon? People coming together for the same purpose. Everybody loving the show, but that's not really the purpose. The purpose is celebrating the art of drag in the name of love and everybody getting along. We're under this huge space with all the queerest people and weirdest people in the world. A conglomerate of love and art and craziness just coming together. Tell me about your kids because you have a gay daughter. I think you must be the coolest mom to have. I, I mean, I have a queer daughter. She doesn't identify as anything non-binary and not gay or straight. She's 17 and she wants to try everything and I think it's amazing and she doesn't necessarily like when I talk about it but I think she knows that I'm here and, and yeah the best mother to have because I'm going to raise that P flag with like lots of love and support and that's really important and it's the one thing that I wish every queer kid in the world could have. What's the biggest surprise about this event? The amount of heterosexual couples that have come over and they're, as it's grown you see a lot more straight men going I watch Drag Race because of you and it's like yeah you watch Drag Race because of my tits. But, you know, the fact that there's love in the family, yeah, and that they watch together is beautiful. That's kind of new to me. It's great. Hi, I'm Fenton Bailey. I'm one of the uh, co-founders of World of Wonder, and we produce DragCon. How's it going this third year? This third year is the most amazing year yet. I mean, we've had a phenomenal explosion of interest, so it's really exciting. I think we're going to have to, like, figure out something for next year. We need, we need more room. We need a bigger haul. <laughs> and what's the big surprise this year? Well, I think there's a few things that have been really new and, and kind of surprising. One is I, I feel that as a result of the election, we have a much more engaged audience. And they realize, I think, that drag is fun and entertaining, yes, and it's also political. Because by standing up for your individuality and your freedom to be who you are and to be authentic, these are all things that the current administration is against. You know, they want to build walls, they want to close minds, close hearts. And of course, Dragon is the exact opposite. So I feel this enormous groundswell, really, of people being engaged and wanting to make a difference and recognizing that the freedom we have is really precious and should be as fiercely and fabulously defended as our outfits. So I feel that's a big difference. And we've catered to that. We have the ACLU are here. We have a number of non-profits, the, the Resistance March are here. And Teen Vogue did a panel on what drag means in the age of Trump. So people are just more, you know, I don't know quite what it means, woke, you know, as the kids say, people are more woke. And I think that's also drawing people here, you know, because this is a safe space. This is where you can be yourself. This is where you're not going to be judged or harassed or assaulted. You're going to be celebrated. You know, here's the thing. Randy and I would, you know, cut from film school, from Edison class, yeah. and we'd go to the Pyramid for happy hour, and we'd see these amazing drag shows. And we always felt drag is an art form that really deserves a wider audience. Or, or like, just anybody can enjoy this. It's not about being gay, or it's not even necessarily about men dressing up as women. It is a sort of celebration and a parody of all the madness of popular culture. And it's a true art form, and I feel that 
people now are beginning to feel they have permission to take this medium seriously and to enjoy it. And I think that's very satisfying because that's where it should be. Life is better with drag. You know, the way to make America great again is drag queens. You know, as someone somewhere can write a thesis for college on the, not the fact that there is a drag con, but that it has a children's area. Oh, absolutely. It's a well, you know, I have kids. Randy, my partner at World of Wonder, he has kids too. And last year we noticed so many families coming, you know, teenagers and kids dragging their parents to drag con. And it just made sense to like, let's have a bouncy house. We have drag queen story hour, which is great. I was just over there with Acid Betty doing story hour. I mean, isn't that great? Fenton, you said earlier you had big news. Can you share that with our listeners? So one of the new things that's going to come later this year is DragCon NYC. You know, there's a lot of people on the East Coast who would like to come who can't, so we're going to take it to them. And, you know, when you think about it, Lady Liberty, the ultimate drag queen, because you know the sculptor based it on his brother. The face of the Statue of Liberty is designed after his brother. So she's the original drag queen. Well, I am are you. I'm Steve Pride. And I'm Wendell Jones at RuPaul's DragCon 2017. Thanks for joining us, but it's time to fold the frock, put the wig back on the stand, and sashay away until next year. There were over 40,000 people there this weekend. And I think every one of them stepped on your feet. I think they did. <laughs> and while we were there, we ran into our next guest, Lindsay Deaton, who is the founder and artistic director of Transcourse LA. But she was that day working the HRC table in addition to a million other things. So welcome, Lindsay. And how was your drag con? My drag con was fabulous, Winslow and Steve. How was yours? It was great. But it was, it was fun to run into you there. And it, and it was, we actually had done a piece with Lindsay, but we had to cut it for time because we've got her She's right here. here. I know, here live in the flesh. But you were saying you were cutting back, you were at the HRC table, you've got the trans chorus, and uh-huh. you've got how many other projects going on at the same time? You're with Resist? Right. There's a lot going on right now after the election. And you're new to LA. You <clears throat> haven't lived here that long, and now you're in everything. Well, uh, one thing about, let me talk a little bit about the human rights campaign in HRC. I am the membership outreach um, co-chair on the steering committee. And DragCon has quickly become the second strongest event for us in Los Angeles next to Pride itself. And so, you know, we very quickly learned, as you heard in this piece, how many parents were bringing their children. And I, you know, on a personal level, remember Carrie and Chloe from Maryland. I, you know, I, I will forever be moved by them who arrived here not knowing DragCon was going on for a real serious reason to take care of a child who is, you know, in need, who happens to be trans. And there they found community and love and information from the HRC table. So it's real crucial that we are visible. And as we also heard in this piece, drag is political. It always has been political ever since Stonewall. And uh, so the ability for us to go out and live our authentic selves and uh, do it freely and safely is really what this is all about right now. Now, you moved here from Cincinnati, right? I did, yeah. And that's where you founded the Diverse City Youth Chorus. Correct, yeah. And it's one thing to do Trans Chorus LA, but I'm thinking Ohio. Right. Where did that come from and how, I'm sure it was trickier there than here. Well, 
That was born out of a, a necessity. You know, honestly, Winslow, I was a contemporary music director at St. Peter and Chains Cathedral downtown. I love that name. And uh, St. Peter and Chains? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, came out as trans in July of 2013. And on September 1st, I was fired and um, by both the cathedral and parish called Good Shepherd. And so... Um, and you've been there how long? I'd been for a decade. Yeah, you know, wow. and uh, and I'm an adult who chose to be Catholic. And you know, 25 years ago, I became confirmed. And so, you know, that experience of being abandoned by not only your your church, your faith, but also your vocation, forced me into a position of uh, self evaluation, um, staying alive. You know, I, I am part of a community that is at tremendous risk. 41 percent of trans people attempt suicide. And, you know, I found myself right in that group. And it was out of that desperation that the Diverse City Youth Chorus was born. And you're right. It was the only queer chorus and is the only queer chorus in Ohio for youth. And uh, without it, there would not be a safe space for those kids. And so, um, you know, I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I'm grateful that they're still out there singing. Well, and just to add to the richness and difficulty of your existence, you're still married to your wife of 37 years, right? Yes, I am. And you have two daughters. I do. And you're moving forward. Yes, we are. Have done. (laughs) Have done, move forward. This is just astonishing to me. Um, So now you're here in Los Angeles with the Trans Chorus. why, Why did you found that? here specifically, or did you come here with the intention of doing that? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And so um, in December of 2014, um, the Diversity Youth Chorus was in existence brand new, not six months old, and a 17-year-old trans girl by the name of Leela Alcorn got up in the middle of the night and walked four miles from her suburban home, crossed two lanes of traffic on Interstate 75, and waited in a median until a Mack truck was coming in the fast lane of the southbound uh, I-75 and stood up and walked in front of it. We in the world weren't aware that it was Leela until Monday when her suicide note was posted on Tumblr. And it was uh, literally a shockwave sent around the world. And Cincinnati became a fishbowl. You know, we had CNN, People Magazine, and uh, a lot of anger towards Carla and Doug Alcorn, her parents, who had put her in reparative therapy for four years. And my chorus was tasked with holding the vigil at her high school that Saturday night, and then again for the community the following Saturday. And we recognized that without visibility, we could be erased. It was the first time in Cincinnati that the transgender community stood up and said, I am trans. And we had a sign that said the transgender community of greater Cincinnati for the first time. And so it was out of that situation and that ethos that, you know, drove me to L.A. And there's a program here called the Transgender Economic Empowerment Program operated through the LGBT Center. And so while I was a cathedral music director, I flew out and took an intake interview. And it was in that office with Trian Juarez that we surfaced the dream of a trans chorus. And as it happened, um, I was invited to come out by the Gaiman's Chorus of Los Angeles and you know, have a steering committee. And through that steering committee, we were able to have a membership drive and 
get a chorus put together 18 months ago in an office at the New York Life Building. And five weeks after that, we did our first performance for the Transgender Day of Remembrance. And here we are, 18 months later. We just had an oversold show of the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. And, and it was at the Renberg yes, Theater, Yes, it right? was, yeah, yeah. At the LA Gay and Lesbian Center. Yes, it is, yeah. And we're, we're, we're looking at an encore set of shows at the end of the summer, so keep your eyes out. Now, the next question, I, I thought, this is just going to illustrate my ignorance and insensitivity, but then everything I read about you, it was the big topic, and that is, what are the singular demands of having a chorus of people transitioning? What are the vocal hurdles? Well, first of all, the, the word we use is dysphoria. And you're hearing my voice and those over the air, you know, visually might place me in a more masculine side of the binary because of my tenor voice. And and they're not seeing the sundress we're seeing. Yes. And so that dysphoria is something that betrays my existence, my lived truth every day here on the radio right now. It's a perfect example. Or if I answer the phone or if I'm going through a drive through or if someone's not looking at me and they ask me a question. And so having a space in which vocally I can use my voice and sing out without fear is really important. And so fiercely empowering trans and non-binary people to use their voices is our mission. And we do have singers who are adults who, with hormone therapy, are going through a voice change, a vocal change. And... It's a unique experience to witness and to be a part of uh, such a life-giving, really a life-giving um, experience for all of us. I'm sorry to use that word twice. But we've got someone who started as a tenor. The beginning part of this whole season has been in baritones, and now they're moving to our high bass section. And it's fabulous. And how great is it to be you know, with that. Huh? I know, but, it, but as a conductor, I mean, how hard is it for you to have to say, you know what, we're going to have to move you from this section to this so section. So I, I am looking eight weeks out already mm-hmm. for them, and we're going to be at Walt Disney Hall in July. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've already got them vocally placed of where I know they'll be there. And, you know, so you do have to plan, yeah. right? And and um, have some flexibility. Um, you know, our, our chorus, I didn't know if we were what our vocal ranges were going to be or if we were going to use binary names for them, you know, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, um, because that is the binary. Some some folks would think we should use trans voice one or high, medium, low. But I choose to use the binary registers because of the printed music and the accessibility to it. And our very first rehearsal, no idea what we were going to have vocally, it turned out to be a tenor, tenor, baritone, bass chorus. And the Gaiman's Chorus of Los Angeles is our birth parent, which is a tenor ter- baritone bass chorus. And so the guys were able to come in and sit next to my choristers. And it was a life-giving experience for all of us. We, we literally share air, share our hearts beating, share music, and we share a lot of standard repertoire. And so we will be sharing the national anthem on June the 9th at Dodger Stadium. With at GMC- Dodger Stadium, yeah, nice. Yeah, with GMCLA, yeah. We love those guys, you know, love Jonah Doe who's their artistic director, and Jonathan Wiedemann, their executive director. The best dads ever. Now, I understand that estrogen does not change your vocal quality, which is so interesting because, now here's the question. There are many trans women that, to me, they sound 
very feminine. Is it because, like Candace Kane mm-hmm. or, or Zachary? Mm-hmm. It's like, is it because mm-hmm. I'm looking at them when I'm hearing them? Because they, they really do sound... Well, very... there's a lot of vocal therapy that, that yeah. trans people can go Andrea through. Andrea and Callie both have that deep stuff where they work with people on their voice. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so to answer your question directly, um, Winsel, while estrogen itself doesn't have a direct effect on the vocal cord, once it's lengthened and thickened, it's lengthened and thickened, and the only way that you can change that is with surgery. And I have, you know, a friend who went through surgery and has had five recuperative ther- um, sur- surgeries since then. So um, it's a real risky proposition. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my role, I feel, is really to fiercely empower, you know, all people to love the voices that they have. Mm-hmm. And if they would like help, you know, developing them or developing the high register, et cetera, mm-hmm. yeah, we work very hard on that. And do you want to take the trans chorus out into the world, or are you expecting the world to come to you? Not at all. No. So we're in Los Angeles for a reason. You know, we have a a bigger soapbox at a louder megaphone, and we need to be in homes of kids in Tuscaloosa, you know, in Stillwater, Oklahoma, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And... You know, being there live would be wonderful, and and we do have dreams of of touring organization. But right now, my sole job is to build a premier arts, you know, group, a great chorus, um, and gain community support for it, and then get the chorus out so everyone can can see what trans people can really do artistically. Now, to me, a male chorus has a very distinct quality, and an all-female chorus has its own, an all-children's chorus. Correct. How would you describe the quality of a trans choir? Okay, so I would place it um, in between. It's not an SATB chorus because we don't have the S's and we don't do that. You know, so it's an ATTBB chorus. So it's and, it, what does that mean for it people? It means alto. Yeah. Okay. So it's an alto, tenor one, tenor two, baritone bass, and so we have the fullness of the male register, or what you would consider on that side of the binary, a deep register, and then we go higher. And so it's sort of like a guitar, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a cello, for instance. You know, it comes, you know, it goes very low, but then it can go very nice high. Um, but we don't have the violin register. We don't have soprano. And is the Dodger game going to be televised? So it we, is. So yeah. we can all catch this? I, yes, I do believe it will. And certainly it's on the radio. So, yeah. Well, speaking of radio, a reminder that we'll be doing LGBT Day at KPFK on June 10th. And we've invited the choir and we're hoping they can work out something in their schedule. To come by and give us a little mini concert here. Very excited. I know, because we'll be here all day from 10 to 6. So anybody who wants to participate, call us. Anyway. Don't don't put an open call for gays to sing. It's oh, not a, good point. It's not a piano bar. <laughs> I know. It's not an open mic night. Sorry, forget I said anything about that. So you're also, in addition to the many other things you're doing, you're sitting, you're on the board of Resist? Correct. And um, Resist this year is a march. Uh, we meet at 8 o'clock at corner of Hollywood and Highland, and the march itself will be three miles long to um, the Pride location, the Pride Festival location. And that's the 11th of June. That is correct. The day after. 8 a.m. Yes, that is 8 a.m. on Sunday, June 11th. Yes. And um, we are all resisting, Mm. um, women, Um, you know, whether we're brown, we're black, we're Asian, you know, we're all in this together. And um, my particular role is gathering choruses from all around the region. And so we're hoping for a chorus of a thousand. Wow. Yeah. 
I mean, whoever thought we'd live in a world where people with just a basic grasp of science would be an oppressed minority? And yet, you know. It's well, interesting. And we talked to Brian about this. Yeah. There's some pushback over the last week from people saying, well, you know, pride and gays, that should have nothing to do with politics. It's like, what the? What are you saying? Well, um, their memories are very short because our movement was born of death. Let's really remember where we come from and why we are fighting. It's because we were invisible. Our government and all of our infrastructure did not support those who were dying around us. And it's only because we stood up and because we marched that we were able to get a change. And if somebody wandered into one of your performances and it wasn't, I don't want to use the term preaching to the choir because you're a choir, but somebody who, let's say, got there by accident and then discovered, wow, this is a choir of trans singers, what would you want them to take away? Well, what a great chorus. <laughs> best best experience I ever had. And, you know, that's what I heard coming out of our Ziggy production was, wow, how fun was that? And I think there's something about the infectious experience of joy that we can delight in one another's joy and the love that's shared with that. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. And if you'd like to discover more, it is transchorusla.org. And are there any other websites people should be aware of? Uh, Facebook, Facebook slash transchorusla. Perfect. Do you have a Facebook page of your own? I, I do not. I've, I've dived deep. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> well, that's it for tonight. Our thanks to our director, Michelle Marie Gilkison, board op, Federico Garcia, and Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. Find us online at imruradio.org and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio, where the link to The Lady Show is posted every Tuesday afternoon. And when you go to take a listen, give us a like. We're close with a song from, of course, RuPaul. And it's called, Can I Get an Amen? Amen. Good night. Good night. Give it all you could. To the relationship Like a full-time job Nine to five You gotta work it, work it But the best of you Has yet to arrive All the love inside And all the love you ever needed Needed All the dreams you had All the things you wanted Don't turn your back It's not too late You better love yourself before you love somebody Love somebody, love somebody Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? If you can't love yourself How in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? If you can't love yourself how in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Amen. Say hello, goodbye. Maybe another try. After a while, you find history repeating, repeating. Till you realize your love is alive. All the love inside is all the love you ever needed, needed. All the dreams you had, all the things you wanted Don't turn your back, it's not too late You better love yourself before you love somebody Love somebody, love somebody Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? If you can't love yourself, how in the hell you gonna
gonna love somebody else Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? If you can't love yourself How in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Amen There's a fork in the road Which way will you go? You standing still or will you step into the great unknown? It's yours to decide This is your life This is your life Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? If you can't love yourself How in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? If you can't love yourself How in the hell you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? All the dreams Can I get you an have amen? All the things you, you can't wanted, love yourself Don't How in the hell you gonna love somebody it's else? Not Can I get an amen? You better love Can yourself I get an amen? Before you love somebody you can't love yourself How in the hell you gonna love somebody else? 